This morning we are, we are continuing in our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And as we begin, I want you to think about this question, that if we were to just go up to people and ask them what they think about the church, I mean, what, what do you think most people would say? Say that Friday night when we're in downtown McDonough, just walking around, what do you, what do you think they'd say? I mean, I think somebody would say, perhaps, you know, hey, you know, I think the church is full of hypocrites. They say one thing, they live another way. Maybe somebody would say that. Maybe they would say, you know, the church, hey, it's a pretty good group of people. I like, I like church people, but it's just not for me. My faith is kind of a private thing. I, I, don't, I don't like to do organized stuff. Maybe somebody would say, oh, the church, yeah, that's a, that's a judgmental group of people. I'm not, y'all, y'all look cool, but, you know, that's not really for me. They don't want people, people like me. We'd probably get a variety of answers. And now I want you to think about the question. If I were to ask you, hey, hey, what is the church or who is the church? I want you to think about what you would say. My guess is they'd probably be a little more positive than random people on the street since you're here this morning and you call this your church home or you're at least curious about church. And so if I were to ask you or do a little poll here, we'd probably have somebody say, you know, hey, we're not perfect. We're not perfect people, but we are forgiven people striving to live like Jesus. Maybe somebody say, hey, we're a community. We just try to welcome everybody here. Or maybe you'd say, hey, we're, we're just doing our best to follow Jesus, to live and to love like him. We'd probably get a variety of different answers if we were to ask you, you know, who is the church? What is the church? But, but here's the thing. I think most of the answers that we would give in this room and that people on the streets would give are very different than the answer that Jesus gives. And that's what I want us to look at this morning as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. I want us to look at who Jesus says the church is. Because it's pretty different than how we often think of it. And so we're, we're going to continue this morning in the Sermon on the Mount. We are in this sermon series throughout the summer. It's in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. This is like the greatest sermon ever. And last week we, we looked at the Beatitudes, at Jesus' definition of what a blessed life is. And this week we're continuing right along and we're going to pick up right where we left off in verse 13. Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up. And each week we're not going to go exactly right through it, but, but this week we are. And so in verse 13, remember Jesus here is talking to uh, his disciples, his followers, but then there is a larger group who's listening in as well, but here he's primarily talking to those people who have entrusted their lives to him. And here's what he says He says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You might think that since Jesus knows the people who are sitting in front of him when he's talking to them, and since he knows how his future followers, like you and me, will live and act, that he might temper his expectations a little bit, that he might kind of tone down his words, but Jesus doesn't do any of that. 
When Jesus says who he thinks the church is, he gives two bold, powerful, and unforgettable images. He says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Think about that. And I want you to turn, turn to the neighbor on your left and, and tell them, you are the salt of the earth. Emily, you don't have a neighbor, but you are the salt of the earth. That's a bold claim, isn't it? You are the salt of the earth. And now most of you in here, you're, you're familiar with salt. It, Jesus' followers in that day would have been familiar with salt. We actually have a little jar of salt for each one of you at the exits on these little tables. So we invite you to take it home. This is kosher, coarse sea salt. So you can use it on your food. You can do whatever you want with it. But we, we, we want you to have this, take it with you, maybe put it on your, your dresser, put it on your vanity, keep it in your car or on your desk at work to remind you of who Jesus says you are. You are the salt of the earth. And now you're familiar with salt, so you know how it's, it's commonly used today. We usually today use salt largely as a flavor enhancer, right? Put salt on potatoes, put salt on eggs. A lot of our doctors tell us we put too much salt on everything, but it's delicious, right? It brings out the flavors in the food. That's what we largely use it for, but, but it also throughout history, it's been used as a preservative because a, a lot of bacteria can't survive in a high-content salt environment. And so you can go to the grocery store now and you can see meats that have been cured with salt that aren't in the refrigerated section but instead are just, just sitting out there. But because they're covered in salt, they are preserved and they'll be used. And throughout history, salt has oftentimes showed up on lists as philosophers have written about the essentials of life. They've said, hey, food, water, and salt are essential because it has been something people have used throughout time as a preservative to enhance flavor. And so what Jesus is saying here to his followers then and to us today is he, he, he's saying that's what you are. You are to enhance the things around you. You are to enhance the quality of life around you in your home, in your community, in your workplace, in your world. You are to be a preservative as well. He's saying, look, without you, without you, my people, the world will continue to devolve into brokenness and sin, but you are called to be a preservative. You, he's saying, are essential to life, the life that I've created. And we kind of get that, right? I mean, when Jesus is using this language, we get that. Okay, you were the salt of the earth. We understand that. But then he talks about salt losing its saltiness. And this is a little more confusing because... If you take this jar of salt that I give you and you leave it on the shelf for seven years and come back, it's probably still going to be good if the seal holds up. And my guess is most of you in here have never had salt left on the shelf that lost its saltiness. And that's because scientifically today, the salt that we use is a chemical compound and, and we have great refineries. And so when we have salt and purchase it at the store, it is in a, in a very pure, refined form. But this is where knowing the, the cultural context of, of Jesus' day matters because in his day, they, they weren't buying pure salt at the market or at the store. Instead, they would buy what might look like salt. It might look like a bunch of white powder. But what it would be is it would be salt mixed in with other tiny rocks and other things that had been crushed up 
together because it was harder for them to separate salt from these other elements. And so what would happen over time is people would pick the salty pieces out or because it's soluble, the salt would be washed out and people would be left with a bag of white rocks that are very tiny that look like salt and to them are salt, but it is salt that has lost its saltiness. And so Jesus is saying, look, what good is salt that has lost its saltiness? It's no good. It's just dirt. Just throw it outside and it can be trampled by your feet. It doesn't matter. And what he's saying to us is, look, if you're not going to enhance the flavor of things around you, if you're not going to be a preservative in this world, if you're not going to live out the purpose I've called you to be, well, it's kind of useless. He says, you are the salt of the earth. And then... He gives the other image you're familiar with. He says, you are the light of the world. I want you to turn to your other neighbor you didn't speak to a minute ago. Tell them, you are the light of the world. That's a, that's a bold claim too, isn't it? That you are the light of the world. I mean, like, wow. But that's what Jesus says. And, and you know, and they would have been familiar with light. What does light do? Light gives beauty. I mean, think about sunrises and sunset. Light gives life. Think about the process of photosynthesis. At night, particularly, light guides, helps direct our paths. Think about headlights, streetlights, lighthouses. Ultimately, light dispels darkness. And Jesus is saying that's what you're called to do. You are called to be light in the midst of darkness. You are called to, to share beauty. You are called to share life. You are called to help guide people. You are light in the midst of darkness. And then he kind of says the same thing like he does about salt. He, he says, look, what good is light if it's hidden under a basket? Or if people can't see it. I mean, you know the old song, right? This little light of mine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it. You already saw me dance. I'm not going to sing, okay? But like, <laughs> no. Hide it under a bushel. That doesn't even make sense, right? If, if, if light is not interacting with the darkness and it's not visible for other people, Jesus is saying, what good is it? It's not living out its purpose. And he says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. I mean, with these two images, when we think about them together, what, what, he, what he's telling us here is he's, he's telling us our identity as his people in this world, who we are. He's, he's, he's revealing to us our responsibility of what we are called to do. But then I think he also reveals to us another couple fundamental truths about how we're called to live in the world and, and who we are in the world as well, and, and the first is very basic when you think about these two images and what, what Jesus is saying here. But, but I think it's, it's something we need to be reminded of. And it's this, that we, Jesus' followers, are different. We are different. We are called to be different than everyone else. And John Stott in his commentary on this passage, he says it pretty plainly. He says, there is a fundamental difference between Christians and non-Christians, between the church and 
and the world. There is a difference between light and darkness. And Jesus is saying here is, look, there's a difference between salt and pepper, salt and rock, salt and everything else. We are called to be different. And this is a theme that comes up over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, we saw this last week, right? When we were talking about what the blessed life was, we, we, we talked about how the world defines what a blessed life is one way, but Jesus says, if you're going to follow me and live in my kingdom, a blessed life looks different. He's saying, look, things are different. You are different. And sometimes in the church, I think we want to de-emphasize the differences, we sometimes for good purposes, sometimes not for good purposes, say, you know what, I, I think it's good if the church becomes more like the world around us, if we think like them, if we act like them, if we believe more like them, because we have this idea that maybe if we as a church looked and acted more like the world, then maybe people outside the church would come and join us and, and learn about Jesus and God and, and follow him and we'd be able to live out our mission. But the problem with this line of thinking is that when there is no distinction between the church and the world, what happens is people come in here on Sunday morning or they think if the church is no different than the world, why would I go to church? If being a follower of Jesus makes no difference in your life, why would I follow Jesus? If it doesn't really matter and it doesn't really make a difference, why would I not go to brunch on Sunday morning and why would I sit in a room for an hour at 10.30 a.m.? Jesus says we are called to be different. But while sometimes our temptation is to not really be different than the world, I think on the other side, there's also at, at times a temptation to really separate ourselves from the world, perhaps too much. I mean, sometimes we get this idea, okay, we are, we are different, we are called to be holy, Scripture says, and so we, we see the world over here, the culture over here, we're over here, and we say, you know what, we want to protect ourselves, we want to protect our children, we don't want to interact with all of this over there, we kind of have this retreat mentality, and we think, you know what, we need to be completely separate from the world. And, and Jesus knew this was a line of thinking even back in his day. There was a group of people when he's preaching here called the Essenes. They were living in the wilderness. They were, they were Jewish men, largely, and, and they said, you know what? We don't want to interact with the world, and we don't want the world to interact with us. We are going to live over here on our own. We're going to kind of be a holy huddle together. And, you know, I, I think today especially, like, our, our world actually prefers that we do that. I think our world thinks, you know what, hey, if you as Christians are actually going to live differently and believe differently and have different beliefs about stuff, you know what, it's probably better for you to just kind of come over here and do your thing together. Our culture tells us, you know what, faith is best kept private. But what Jesus is saying here is that your faith must be made public. The world tells us our faith is best kept private. Jesus is telling us our faith must be made public. You see, following Jesus Christ and being a Christian is a very personal thing. You have to make a decision for yourself if Jesus is going to be Lord of your life and if you're going to surrender to him and receive his grace in your life. It's very personal, but it's never meant to be private. Jesus is saying here, following me is meant to be public. You are called to let your light 
shine. Yes, you are different, but you need to publicly be witnesses for me. And so I think, yeah, we learn that we are different, but I think the second thing we see in this passage is that Jesus is saying we are called to make a difference. We are different and we're called to make a difference. And if you look in verse verse 16 here, Jesus puts it plainly. He says this. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I'm going to read that again. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What good is salt if it doesn't touch the food? Not any good. What good is light if it doesn't encounter darkness? Jesus is saying, look, you have to let your light shine. And what that looks like is doing good deeds in this world. Not so that people point to to you or to your church and say, wow, you're so great. You're doing great things. Congratulations. Here's a new story. But so that people ultimately are pointed to our great God and give him glory. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so when he's talking about being light and being witnesses for him, what he's saying is, yes, we are called to be different, but we are called to be public representatives of his in the world. We are not to retreat from the world. We are to be witnesses to the world. We are called to do what he did, to continue his ministry, to to bind up the brokenhearted, to help people who are broken, to bring hope to the hopelessness, to to help people who feel like they're far from God, God experience the embrace and the love of God. We are called to proclaim with our words and demonstrate with our lives that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is love, and that Jesus is the way to abundant life now and eternal life in the future. He says, you are the light of the world and you are the salt of the earth. And this can be intimidating to us because a lot of times we we like to think about Jesus as the light of the world because he said that, right? Jesus said, I am the light of the world and we're, we're comfortable with that. But now what Jesus is telling us is that when I, the light of the world, am living in you, I want to shine brightly through you. I want you to represent me every single day. And I'll I'll just take a moment here to brag on our church because I am proud and I am grateful to serve a church that lives out this calling on a regular basis. We are called to be salt and light, and we do that in many different ways. Sometimes the whole church knows about it, and we tell you about it. Sometimes we don't, and it's kind of behind the scenes. One, one thing that happened this week is our, our prime timers and our outreach ministry paired up together to serve some people here in Henry County. There's a nonprofit called the Henry County Dream Center, and, and they help families in need in many different ways, many different levels through different programs and ministries they have. And one of them is called the Dream Scholars Program. It helps people be educated and empowered to, to live out the dreams God has for them. And so our prime timers went, and we got a picture here, and they were salt of the earth. You know, they served salty fried chicken to these people. Um, I don't know if we were too helpful for their physical health, but we, this was more spiritual health, okay? Um, but look, they served food. They cooked the food. We gave them fried chicken, 
as just a small way to say, look, you are seen, you are known by God. He loves you and he is for you. This was just a small way that we were living that out. And just so you know, this summer there is a fried chicken shortage in our country, okay? And so order your fried chicken ahead of time. So they, they were salt of the earth. Another thing you hear us talk about is, is Operation Christmas Child each year. This is another way that we seek to be light in the world. And so every year, and we're collecting items now, we invite you to, to, to bring items for kids or bring a shoebox, shoebox packed with toys to our church. And what happens is those get sent to people all over the world alongside of a discipleship program. And children are told, hey, look, this is a gift of love from God that represents the greatest gift ever. And it's a small way that we share light as a church, that you are invited to be a part of that. And then coming up in July, we're going to start having more public signups for this. We're, we're, for the first time, at least in recent history, hosting a blood drive here at our church in the parking lot on a Sunday morning. We're going to have a Life South bus, and you can sign up to donate blood before worship, during worship, or after worship. And we're inviting the community to come too. And you might think, well, what does that have to do with with Jesus and his mission, well, here's what it has to do. Jesus cared about people's souls, but he also cared about people's bodies. He cared about their physical health. And so we have the opportunity to give blood, to give the gift of life to other people here in Henry County. And when we're living in this way, when we are living as salt and light, Jesus says, you are pointing people to our heavenly father. And I found that to be true here as well. There was a guy, he moved on from our community now. Uh, he lives in another state, but he started coming to our church. And one of the questions I always like to ask people who come to our church is, hey, how'd you hear about it? And he said, you know, I saw online this group was collecting cereal for kids in Henry County. And I saw y'all were a drop-off location. And he said, I came by, I dropped off my cereal, and I thought, you know what? I want to be a part of a community like that. I want to be a part of a community that loves children. I want to be a part of a church like that. And so through that act of of light, he saw our Heavenly Father and he said, I want in on that. Jesus calls us to be salt. And light. And, and you know, today it's so easy to look at the news and social media in the world and to think, look at all this darkness. Look at all this brokenness. Look at all this sin around us. But I think what Jesus is calling us here is, is to ask different questions. I think he's calling us to say when we look out at the world, where is the salt? Where is the light? How can we as a church get involved in being the light of Christ to the world. We shouldn't be surprised when darkness is dark. And Jesus says, you are to be light. And when we are light, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. And this week as I was preparing for the message, I was, I was thinking about salt and thinking about light. And... I thought about the darkest place I've ever been in my life. Not spiritually. That's another sermon for another day. But I'm, I'm talking about physically. 
And I don't know if any of you have ever been here. It was in Mammoth Cave, Kentucky. Has anybody in here ever been to Mammoth Cave? So Mammoth Cave is, is amazing. It, it, it's huge. And so we were there on a middle school trip. And there was like 100 middle schoolers running through this cave. And we had a tour guide. And the tour guide said, hey, I don't know if you noticed, but we have motion sensor lights in here. And so as we walked through the cave, it would light up and then behind us it would go dark. And she said, hey, but have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about what it would have been like for the early settlers who didn't have electricity? Or for people who just stumbled into the cave? She said, look, it, it is complete darkness because there is no ambient light that is getting into this cave at all. And then she turned out all the lights. And we're, we're going to turn out the lights here for a second. I'll just give you a heads up. We're going to turn down the lights here. But she turned out all of the lights in the cave. And when she did that, the whole room of middle schoolers started to scream, Okay. We were all screaming bloody murder. And so we'll bring down the lights. But, but in here, when, when you see that there's no lights, you can start seeing ambient light, right? You, you can see the lights coming in from the doors and other things. But in the cave, it was complete and utter darkness. And she told us, and it was true, hey, wait 30 seconds. Nothing is going to happen to your eyes. There's no light for them to adjust to. You couldn't see anything in front of you. And then she lit a single candle. And in the midst of that complete darkness, all of a sudden, we could see again. We saw the power of this single candle. And we, when we saw that candle, everybody stopped screaming because we knew, okay, if we really need to get out of here, we can do it with that little bit of light. We felt comforted. We felt like things were going to be okay. And ever since that day, I have never forgot how powerful a single light can be in the midst of utter darkness. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying no matter how dark the darkness is around you, you are the light of the world. And a single light can make all the difference. But here's the thought I want to leave you with. And that is that although a single light is powerful, and Jesus says you're the light of the world, actually here in, in the scripture, this is missed on us sometimes, here he is speaking to the group in a plural form. He is saying you, he's saying you all are the light of the world. And if you think about how powerful one candle is, you can also think about how powerful a group of candles are together. And he's saying that's what you are. That's who you're called to be. And so I'm going to read the passage again. And, and this is in a version called the y'all version of the Bible. And anywhere that you is used in a plural form in scripture, it replaces it with y'all. So I'm going to read it again for you. So you can catch a glimpse of what Jesus was saying. He was saying, y'all are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled 
underfoot. Y'all are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let y'all's light shine before others that they may see y'all's good deeds and glorify y'all's Father in heaven.